It's really good to be with you all this morning. Uh, if you, now I can't see you with them on. Um, oh, getting old, it's such a wonderful thing. Um, it's really great to be here with all of you this week. Um, I have been really sick, and so I'm better. My voice is back. I'm really thankful to the Lord that he has restored it and that I can be here with you. Um, but bear with me as there might be some scratchiness and needing to stop for water or whatnot. So if you can't hear me too, because all I can do is hear my own self in my head right now. So if I need to be louder, okay, my back table's like, yes, you're loud. Um, let me know if I get too soft. Um, I can definitely see all of you and you can let me know. Okay, so what brings us together today? Um, I believe that we're all here because we aim to live a life worthy of our calling, worthy of the calling of Christian and worthy of the calling of motherhood. Uh, we meet here today because we're looking for encouragement and guidance and how to be better moms and how to raise our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. We're going to start with Proverbs 22.6 this morning that tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I know this is the desire of our hearts this morning. This verse gives us a truism. It gives us wisdom that there is profit in training up a child in the way of the Lord. And if we follow it, if we live it, if we apply it, it tells us that when he is old, he will not depart from it. J.C. Ryle challenges us by asking us, Am I doing all I can in this manner to obediently train my child in the Lord's ways? So our time together this morning is going to be focused on training our children. We're going to look at the why and the how. Very similar to what Sarah just, I'm just keeping it simple. The why and the how of why we should train. Uh, we're going to look at some principles to get started behind instructing our kids. And then we're going to look at how to instruct them, which will involve both setting rules and boundaries for them to follow and providing discipline or consequences for disobedience. And we will briefly touch on how grace is all instilled in this process along the way. Um, we will see the need for balance. Um, our focus this semester is balance here at Moms by Grace. So we must both implore instruction, but we must not neglect discipline either. Both are vital in our parenting, and we must not lead on one more than the other. But we must seek to be balanced in our approach to train our children in the Lord. This process must be full of grace and truth. Uh, there can be and should be a balance between grace and truth in our training. So let's get down to these principles. Uh, the principles behind our training and instruction, our kids, first starts with us. MacArthur reminds us that God-honoring behavior always springs from right beliefs. We don't want to be and we cannot be hypocrites with our children. They will spot our two-faced expectations from a mile away. We cannot have one set of guidelines for them, and yet ourselves live another way. Hypocrisy in our lives will breed contempt in the lives of our kids towards us and also towards the Lord. So to prevent this, we must work really hard on our own hearts before and while we instruct and train. So let's look at four areas you're gonna see on your paper. Four areas in our own lives that we need to work on before we can train our kids. So number one, and I think Tani already said this when she was introducing me, but you need to be sold out to Christ. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy 6, or look it up on your phones. Give you just a second. 
This is that tried and true passage that we often first go to when we're talking about any kind of parenting um, from, from the front at church. If you guys go to verse 5, he tells Israel to love the Lord with all their heart, all their soul, and all their might. So the Lord cares about you too, not just your kids, right? In this passage, uh, we haven't even gotten to, the, to our kids yet. We can't neglect our own hearts while attempting to shepherd our kids' hearts. We must be united and submitted to God's ways. We must have already given our whole selves over to be being controlled by God's word. One of my most favorite passages and that I go to all the time is 2 Corinthians 5.14. I'm going to um, recite it and I'm going to add some of my own little caveats to it along the way. But it says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one, talking about Jesus Christ, has died for all. And therefore all have died, right? He had to die because he need, we needed a perfect sacrifice that we could not be. He died for all. We know that from John 3.16. And what does it say there? So that those who live, and here's the real quicker kicker that we might no longer live for ourselves but for who but for him who for their sake died and was raised if we've not surrendered our life to christ not just saying you're a christian and believing that he died and rose but actually believing it to the point that you no longer live for self and what you want but you're actually believing it to the point that you live for what god wants you could take what I'm going to say today and you could behaviorally modify to look and fit what I'm talking about. But you will find only dissatisfaction and discontentment if you truly have not allowed your heart to be transformed by the gospel. I implore you this morning to evaluate, to evaluate where your heart is at before the Lord. Your efforts to train and steer your children toward the Lord and away from this world will be fruitless if your own heart and direction of your life is not fully surrendered to Christ. Our heart to train our little ones is ultimately not to make sure that they're saved. Sure, that is a goal. Salvation and heart change really belongs to God though. We don't have control over that. Obviously, salvation is a goal, but to show off Christ and make him attracted to our kids, but, to, but ultimately, um, our choice in parenting this way is we do it, why? We do it as unto the Lord to be obedient to him, not for the end product. The end product is left up to the Lord. So there's some application questions you're gonna be going over at your table. And for this um, point, I want you to ask yourself, am I fully surrendered to God and his plan? What sin in my life is holding me back from full surrender? And what am I not willing to let go of in order to be obedient to God? Oftentimes in our parenting, the problem is not really with our children, but it's really with ourselves. I wanna give you a quick example of this from my own life. When, when my kids were little, I noticed there was a lot of complaining in our home. Not tantrums, but just whining. You know what I mean when they're like, meow, meow, meow. Um, about every little thing that you ask them to do. I jumped on this 
seeing the opportunity and set guidelines for my kids to have a happy heart. And I disciplined when they complained um, and when I asked them to obey, like put away their toys or finish their two more bites of food or it's time to come inside from playing outside or brush their teeth or share with their friend, et cetera, et cetera. But I still felt like they weren't really getting it. And as I stepped back to evaluate our home, I saw that it wasn't really the kids that were the issue, but that the root problem was that Sean and I were doing a lot of complaining. We were modeling unthankful and discontent hearts, all the while asking our kids to be thankful and joyful despite their circumstances. I was really setting them up for failure because I was modeling complaining and being a whiner. They were just following my example. Once again, the Lord was using training my kids to reveal my own sin and to work on me. I picked up a little book called Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World, and I started to apply some of those principles in our home, with me being the example first. Sean and I talked, and we started to work on our complaining, and I saw a drastic change in our home over the next few months. Every time we caught ourselves complaining, we confessed that sin out loud in front of our kids and to the Lord, and turned around and extolled and thanked the Lord instead. It transformed our homes and really our own hearts too. We still battle with complaining. It didn't disappear, but it definitely decreased and we saw our kids complaining lesson as well. Now, when we see something in our kids, we both look back at ourselves first to see if we're being a poor example in that area for our children. So is there sin in your heart, in my heart this morning that needs to be confessed? All right, number two. Second principle, cultivate a humble heart. Isn't parenting humbling? A humble heart is one that is soft and moldable to correction and teaching. As moms, this is what we're striving for with our kids, right? Soft, moldable hearts, ready for correction and teaching. We want to cultivate the soil of humility and for, and for our little ones to see their need for Christ. But our hearts must be humble first. We must model humility. If you go to Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, here we see, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If you look down to verse 4 in that same passage, you'll see that God does the exact opposite with those who don't seek him. He says, I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. And when I spoke, they did not listen, but did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. If we turn to the New Testament, in James 4, 6, God says, God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Keeping our hearts soft and teachable is a key ingredient to preparing our hearts and minds to parent our children according to God's ways and not our own ways. Returning to my personal example of complaining, I could have hardened my heart and said that my kids are the problem and not myself and continue to harp on them about complaining and do nothing in my own personal life to change. 
but demand that change of my children, and that's pride. Just because I'm the mom doesn't mean that I'm above correction. And I found when I personally, over and over and over again, apologized and confessed my sin out loud to my toddlers, I was humbled. And that humility brought about soft soil for the Lord to expose sin and for the Holy Spirit to have moldable clay now to change me. And then I saw the change in our home. Ladies, we're all being worked on. Let your kids see that mommy is also accountable to the Lord and that you are working right alongside them toward honoring the Lord in the way that you act and conduct yourself. So ask yourself this morning, go back to your application questions. You'll be going over these in your tables. But am I keeping a soft, teachable, moldable heart to God's word and his correction? Am I practicing confession of sin in my prayer life? Am I apologizing when I lose my temper with my child and I'm not patient or I'm not faithful to be consistent in my parenting? All right, Uh, three, moving right along. Uh, Let's live by scripture is our third principle, allowing scripture to be our guide. I don't know about you, but songs are often triggered in my mind when I hear certain phrases. My mom always did this growing up. I thought she was crazy, but now I'm doing it. So I'm either also crazy or it's just a normal mom thing. Um, But when I hear allowing scripture to be your guide, the song from Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio pops into my mind. Which in a side note, honestly, when you think back to that Pinocchio movie, if you've seen it, it's really horrible. (laughs) And very scary, scary and not friendly movie for kids, really. Um, But back to my point, Jiminy Cricket, he acts as Pinocchio's friend, his sidekick, kind of his conscience in a way. And he sings that song, and always let your conscience be your guide, which Pinocchio repeats on and on throughout the movie. Well, in order for our conscience to be our guide, it must be a conscience that's been informed right and rightly. It must be one that's been informed by scripture. So for us this morning, we're going to sing, and always let the scripture be your guide. I don't think I need to belabor this point um, with all of you, but far too often we'll run to Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram for affirmation and encouragement from others' moms that we can do it. You can be a good mom. This is contrary to scripture. We are not enough. In and of ourselves, we can't do it. It is a daunting task. We need Christ and we need scripture. Our ability to stand strong in motherhood lies in our trust and dependence in Christ alone. We are weak, but our strength is in Christ. Another song enters my mind. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. We could go on and on. I love that song. Here I go, reverting back to songs again. But let's look into God's word right now real quick as to why we should run to scripture as our guide. We're going to the tried and true 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, which will be all familiar to everybody here, I'm sure. But all scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I feel like I could just stop and be done now. Um, ladies, We have a treasure 
This is my Bible. I know it looks really sad. It needs to be fixed soon, but we have a treasure beyond compare that we can hold in our hands right here, right? That we carry around on our phones even now, in our pockets everywhere we go. Soak it up. Eat it as your necessary food. Drink it up as the deer pants for the water. Cling to it. It brings direction and peace and understanding to all the chaos that you're experiencing in your home. As silent as we feel sometimes that the Bible is on the practicals of parenting, it gives us exactly what we need, exactly the principles to employ in all of our parenting decisions. There is nothing new under the sun in regards to sin. We feel as though we are up against so much ugliness today in our world, and we are. But the sin that entangles us today is the same sin that those in the Bible written for ages and ages ago were struggling with as well. Don't be fooled into thinking that the Bible does not speak to what you are experiencing. Don't be misguided that you need to go to experts to guide you. You need to be satiated in God's word, and he will use that to guide you. You have everything you need for life and godliness, but you have to seek after him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says it better than I can. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Hasn't it been wonderful studying the Beatitudes with Chris on Sunday morning? I think back to the Beatitude that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So our application question here in living by scripture is, are you desperate for righteousness? Are we in God's word and applying it to our lives? There is satisfaction to be found as we live out God's word and as we seek to teach it to our children. But we have to model it. We aren't just teaching our kids to create moral little human beings. We're teaching them how to walk with God. We're modeling their desperate need for a savior and how living by God's way is the best. You can't just teach it. You gotta be practicing it yourself, really embracing it. You have to see your own need and answer it by desperate dependence on God's word as your necessary food. I digress again back to the importance of modeling. I always go back to modeling. Um, in J.C. Ryle's book, Duties of Parents, I got a lot of this morning um, from that book. That's basically the book that Sean and I use. There's so many books now, but back in the day, I felt like there wasn't that many books um, on parenting. And so one of the ones that Sean and I have used over and over again in our parenting is Duties of Parents by J.C. Ryle. And he quotes an archbishop um, that says this very wise remark. To give children good instruction and a bad example is the beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them to hell. What our kids see has a much stronger effect on their minds than what they are told. I continue to quote Ryle, take care that what you do, oh, take care then what you do before a child. Strive to be a living epistle of Christ. Be an example of reverence for the word of God, reverence in prayer, Reverence in the means of grace. Reverence for the Lord's day. Be an example in word, in temper, in diligence, in faith, 
in charity, in kindness, and in humility. Think not your children will practice what they do not see you do. You are their model picture, and they will copy what you are. Your reasoning and lecturing, your wise commands, your good advice, all of this they may not understand, but they can understand your life. Children are really quick observers, and they are quick to see through hypocrisy. I know this sounds all really daunting. I'm supposed to be here to encourage you this morning, and I'm just giving you a really big laundry list. Uh, If you're feeling weak and incapable to this task, then good. (laughs) This should drive us to our knees. We need God's help to be able to live any of this out. Can I suggest a podcast to you to encourage your heart? Um, It just popped up actually on my Instagram feed uh, when I was preparing for this message and I thought it really fit very well um, to encourage you in this area if you need further encouragement. Um, It's on Risen Motherhood and it's a podcast entitled, it's Abundance Number Five and it's called In Your Weakness, Look to Christ. She's gonna say it way better than anything I can say. All right, number four, let's move on. Embrace self-denial. The best way we can love our kids is to deny ourselves. And Jen did a great, talk, um, a great time talking about this last time we were together. Love demands self-denial. We must die to our need for approval from our kids. And this is often a big problem and a roadblock to our instructing and disciplining. Often we want our children, um, sorry, Often, we want our children to like us, and we desire their approval more than we want what's right for them, or we desire their approval more than we desire to be obedient to bring them up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. We, therefore, give in and indulge them when we should not. Our goal is not to make our kids happy, but our goal should be aligned with God's goal for them to be holy, trained in righteousness, and obedience. Often we are too kind-hearted and too concerned with our kids' feelings towards us, and that impairs our ability to instruct and train them as unto the Lord. We don't allow ourselves to be controlled by Christ and are more concerned with satisfying our emotional needs. We must deny our selfish, natural bents and the immediate gratification we get from giving in to our kids. We have to say no to When we say no to ourselves, we in turn are ready to teach our children to say no to themselves, which is really key in our ability to instruct and train them. So I ask you for application, are you afraid to instruct, to set boundaries, to create rules and to say no or discipline your children because of how it makes you feel? Because of how you feel that they may feel towards you because you want them to like you? Are you being overly tender-hearted toward them? And how balanced are you between tender-heartedness and being obedient to God's command to train your kids in his way? All right, now we've laid the foundation on principles that we need to apply to ourselves before we instruct our kids. We talked about being sold out to Christ. We talked about cultivating a humble heart talked about living by scripture, 
And lastly, we talked about embracing self-denial. Now come back with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. After the Lord commands our hearts to be aligned with God's ways in verses 1 to 4, after we go to work on our hearts, then he addresses our duties as parents in verses 6 through 9. He says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hands, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord uses all-inclusive language here, just like he did in verses 2 and 5. Training your children all the time, right? The tools we can use to teach our children God's commands can vary. We can be instructing, sometimes we can be redirecting, and sometimes we can be correcting. Or even sometimes we can just be encouraging. We need to use all of these really to get to the same end. There should be a balance in our parenting and the the techniques that we use to impress upon them the commands of God. But we see here from verses 6 through 9 that this is a very intense, exhaustive, continual, sometimes natural, sometimes deliberate process with our children. And if you want more on that, Sean has a great message. It's on the FBC archives under Building Strong Families, he went through Deuteronomy 6 and I think did a great job. I'm plugging my own husband. That's kind of pathetic, but it was really good. So let's turn our attention to the training process. Why do we train? Number one, our kids are desperately wicked. So cute, right? But desperately wicked. Proverbs 22:15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. These verses reveal to us that children need guidance. Folly is bound up in their heart, and left to themselves, they will bring shame. Children cannot be left to be guided by their own will. Our children have corrupt, sinful hearts. And left to themselves, they will bear weeds and bring about evil. We must think for them, judge for them, act for them, just as you would for someone who is weak or someone who is blind. Some practical examples of this. We don't ask them what they want for dinner. They will always choose candy. (laughs) Right? We show them what a well-balanced diet looks like, and we place the food in front of them, and we make them eat it. We also don't let them wear a snow jacket out when it's 105 degrees. Why? Because we know they're going to get overheated. We don't consult their likes and their wishes. I know this sounds really harsh, but I promise you this will not come back to bite you. This is only helpful for their character development as they get older. They don't know what is good for them. We need to train them in what is right, not in the way that they fancy. So draw a line on your paper and write on one side what you believe to be true. Write on one side, I believe my kid to be good. Write on the other side, I believe that my kid is desperately wicked. 
Now, depending on where you fall on that line, that's going to affect the way that you parent your child, right? What we believe really does affect how we live. So what needs to change in your belief so that you line up with scripture? What about my parenting needs to change as I consider that my child's heart is desperately wicked? You guys can talk about that at your tables. Hold on a second. Number two, our kids are in desperate need of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. We instruct our kids to give them the knowledge they need to make wise decisions and to be able to navigate the world. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 3.11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves, as, the, as a father, the son in whom he delights. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Bathe your children in God's word. Use scripture to inform your heart, and then in turn, inform their hearts. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So again, put a line, what do I believe to be true about my child? Do I believe that they are wise or do I believe that they are foolish? And see where you fall in that spectrum, on that line. Does my instruction and training fall under this belief and what, if so, needs to change in order so that my instruction lines up with scripture? Am I reminding myself that my child needs to be shown how to and instructed and given demonstration on how to act. Don't be surprised when your child responds wrongly. They're foolish. And they need our wisdom, wisdom from God's ways and his words to give them guidance and direction. All right, number three, our kids need direction. And they need to be given a purpose. If you go to John 8, which we're not going to have time to read through, but John 8, 31 through 46, tells us that the truth sets us free. Free from wandering aimlessly in the direction of our life and free from questioning our overall purpose. It shows us also that practicing sin does the exact opposite. Sin makes us a slave to that sin and keeps us from being aligned with God and his word. We fall back into what comes naturally, our sin nature. We train our kids to see their sin rightly to see it as an offense to God and as a danger to their lives. We teach them to say no to their fleshly desires by recognizing the deceit found in their hearts and to learn to follow God's ways because God knows better than we do. We teach them not to follow their hearts. I hate that shirt and that saying. <laughs> it's all over in our world. We teach them not to trust their emotions, but to let truth, the truth in God's word, be there to guide their decisions. And we do this from the start, even when they're little babies. And this is going to sound really simplistic, um, but it's so true, and you want to start from when they're really little. Um, for instance, when a baby is on a changing table, we don't let them squirm around, kick their legs, roll around, stand up. We teach them that they need to hold still. Right? Not because it not only makes the process easier and poop and pee from flying everywhere, but it also keeps them safe right, from falling. 
It's just super practical. It's not like we're looking at them and thinking, this is going to change their character. They're going to be so godly if I do this. But God's ways are super practical. Um, also, for toddlers, um, you're not going to give them choices, really, on what to wear or what to eat. They're going to choose the same outfit every day. Every little girl is going to want to wear their pink tutu every single day of their life. Okay, we don't need to give in to those choices. We tell them what to eat. We make them sit in their high chair at the dinner table. We're setting them up for success in environments both inside and outside our home. For example, I know so many families, um, when my kids were growing up, they never went out to restaurants. They never went over to people's homes because they were too embarrassed about how their kids were acting at the table. And that takes training. It just takes time. It's not something that's an impossible thing for them to achieve. I don't care how wild and crazy they are. They just need to be shown and followed up with discipline in how to do it. It makes eating and going out to a restaurant with your children wonderful. The character quality that we're investing in our kids here by saying no to them and giving them direction is self-control. Found in these boundaries, the quality, the character quality of the need for self-control. Uh, found in these boundaries when they're infants and toddlers, like at the changing table or not giving them too many choices, will set them up for success as they begin into their school activities in ages 5 to 11, and then into their teenage years as their fleshly desires really kick in and their hormones really spike. You think it's ugly now and hard to train your child as they're an infant in the area of self-control Imagine how much harder and uglier it will be if you do nothing in this area until they reach their teen years, when they're more mouthy and they're bigger than you and stronger. You've already created really bad habits from zero to 13 that haven't really ever been addressed. When they're babies and toddlers, we're looking for ways to instill this in them, like I said at the changing table. It starts in very small little ways introducing them the idea of saying no to themselves and understanding that mom and dad are saying no to protect them. When they're teens, we've already laid all that groundwork for them seeing that your boundaries are there to guide and protect, not to limit them or just to exert your authority over them because you can, but that you actually love and care for them. That's why it's so important to know the why behind our instruction and training. It's not because their childish ways annoy us or that it's inconvenient for us, but because their wants and desires are often destructive to their very own character. They need direction for their own safety and for the safety of others. God's ways are very practical. John 8 tells us, that in following after Jesus, we will love his words, his teachings, his commands. And when we cannot bear to hear his words, it says we are of the Father, the devil, and in the flow of lies and not of God. We want to teach our kids that safety and satisfaction is found in following God's rules and his commands. His ways are practical to the function and fabric of our very society. I'm not going to get sidetracked on this one right now. So we're not doing it, talking about society, but... We can see as our society is getting rid of God's ways and putting him to the wayside. We can see our fabric of our society cracking. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) 
I also want to take a side note real, here real quick. There's a lot of talk about grace in parenting these days. It's really popular and a hot trend right now. That parenting should be full of grace and that we should just give them Jesus because Jesus gives us grace. If I do that, they will feel loved and cared for and understand that Jesus has open arms toward them. That's what the philosophy is. This is not grace of the Bible. The grace of the Bible is only understood when we understand that we are sinners and we are in need. Our children are sinful, weak, and blind creatures. We are there to be their guide. That is how graciousness is expressed by God to our children. They are not left alone. Parenting is a common grace given by God to children. They need us to step up and to guide them, to protect them from their own foolish ideas. We don't command them as a dictator or a king, but from a place of tenderness, affection, and patience. Our goal is not for them to obey us as the ultimate authority, but to show them that God commands absolute obedience because he is a heavenly father who loves us and his word contains the guide we need to navigate this life. Don't regard the idea of tenderness, affection, and patience for weakness and flexibility with our boundaries. Firm, clear boundaries allow children to thrive and make them feel safe. But to do this in such a way that we convey love, Ryle calls this a wooing of them. We teach them as they are able to bear, not all at once, remembering that they are weak creatures we need to be patient and be considerate in our training. I'm gonna to try to illustrate this. So I'm Sean Farrell's wife and we have to do physical illustrations. But, uh, oh, sorry. I kind of practiced this, but not really. Um, <laughs> if I'm filling this wine bottle with water, I must do it with intention as to not spill or waste what's going in. See, I'm doing it really slow. It's really hard, so I often sometimes might even use a funnel to assist me. Others, oh! <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be comedy. If I try to force it, what happens? It all spills over, right? And not a lot of it is caught. I wanna make sure it's the same with my kids when I'm instructing them. We have to do it slowly, be very deliberate. We need to have clear communication. We need to be patient and not in a hurry. That way they'll be able to catch the knowledge and not lose it. If we're inconsistent, impatient or harsh, we make a giant mess. We set the boundaries for them and maintain them and then within those boundaries, once those are set, we're able to, of course, be gracious towards them. Grace is given when we are consistent and follow through. It's not gracious to be giving commands and then not following through with them. It's really confusing. It sets them up to see God's commands as also flippant and not to take him seriously. Training them in first-time obedience now will set them up for success in the future to say no to themselves and yes to God's ways because they're trained in the habit of submitting to an authority, not just to us, but to God. 
God is not flippant with his commands. He says, be holy for I am holy. And we should not be flippant either. We should say to our kids, follow me as I follow Christ. Remember too, that you can also train them in a playful manner. It's not just the 911 clean up on aisle six moments, which I think is what we all kind of think of when we're training or correcting or helping them. Make learning really fun. Ryle says we need to be willing to enter into childish troubles and take part in their childish joys. It doesn't always have to be in a corrective moment or because they've done something wrong. Play with them and instruct them and teach them along the way. Don't see their childishness as an obstruction or an annoyance, but we need to enter into their world down at their level, not to sympathize and give in to them, but to get down to their level and tenderly train and model for them the bigger biblical concepts that you want them to have in the future. For example, starting at about 15 or 18 months or so, you can begin to have them help clean up their toys. This is not a punishment, but it's a training and responsibility in being a helper in taking care of their toys. You can sing the song, clean up, clean up. Oh man, my voice. Everybody, everywhere, clean up. I'm sure there's probably a cuter song now. There's so much better music out when my kids were little, but make it fun. Then at the toddler stage, you can also have them at the sink with you, right? To help with the dishes, which is really just them playing in the bubbles, right? While you do the dishes, and they're probably making a bigger mess and not being helpful. But again, it's about modeling and having fun with them, being a helper and teaching them about contributing to household chores. I'm sure that the mentor moms and other moms at your table are going to have great ideas on a way in which you can have fun with your kids and train and instruct them. I like this quote by Ryle, and I think it stresses this point of why we train. He says, we are made into what we are by training. The way we train or don't train our kids forms habits, and that can either help them or plague them as they move into adulthood. So again, put your line on your paper. What do you believe to be true? Are your, uh, is your child good, others minded in their judgment, or does my child make self-interested choices? Again, maybe your belief in this area needs to change as to how you view your child and your role in directing and instructing them. Now let's move into the how, and here are some really quick tips for zero to five for training. First, you need to have clear, simple, and direct commands. For instance, you say succinctly, no touch. Or you say, happy heart. We don't go into a full dissertation of why they shouldn't touch or all the dangers here or explain to them why happiness is a choice and not a feeling. A baby example, again, is with the changing table. You don't allow them to arch their back or roll around and scream. You hold down their body and you just say, be still. And then when they squirm around and go crazy, be still. And you just keep doing that over and over again. They will get it. Or for screaming, you say, this is what I do. I don't know. It's totally right, but it worked for my house. No. And I do it like that so that they realize what it sounds like and how horrible 
And annoying that is, and nobody wants to hear that. You show them, right, how to be still. And you also, oh yeah, I already did that. Then when they do it right, and they actually are laying on the changing table, sometimes we won't give them any affirmation. You need to give them affirmation and encouragement. Yay, you held still on the changing table, even though you're probably thinking, finally, like, I don't know how, why this is so hard for you to figure out. You're not saying that. You're saying, yay, we're so excited. You held still. Good job. Or for your screaming toddler, when they do that, no, eh, happy heart. If they continue, then you safely put them in their crib. That's the safest place for them when you want to murder them. You put them in their crib. That's okay. You can leave that. Um, you put them in the crib and you say, mommy will be back when you have a happy heart and you wait outside the door and when you hear them, just take a breath, like maybe they might get over it, you show up in the door, happy heart. If they continue to scream, you say, oh, mommy will be back when you have a happy heart. And you walk out of the room again and you wait outside until you hear them again, stop. And then you walk in, <gasps> no, eh, happy heart. And we do this back and forth and back and forth all day long. <laughs> but those are simple, clear, and direct commands, right? With observations and modeling. That's what's going to help them understand. Uh, so I think it's a secondly, immediate correction when there's disobedience. Example, we have them stop at the curb and we say at the curb, wait for mommy. Okay, they run into the street. The first time you may say, no walking into the street. Mommy says, no street, you wait for mommy. Then you set them up again at the next corner. And if they run into the street, you aren't going to give them, you aren't going to give them a consequence when you get home. You need to give them that consequence right there and then, which I know can be tricky. That's why you wanna do it and train them and set themselves up for it in an environment that you're able to do this in. It's hard for little ones to connect the discipline with the wrongdoing if it's not immediate, especially the younger that they are. If they obey, we want to encourage again and congratulate them. Don't forget to esteem them out loud with right behaviors. Thirdly, be consistent. We talked about this already a bunch this morning, but be consistent in your correction. If you lay down a rule or a boundary, make sure it's followed up on. So no th throwing food. Every mealtime, there is no throwing food. As soon as you set that rule in your home, you need to be consistent to follow up on it wherever you are. Um, it's really confusing if you have rules for them in one place and then don't follow through when you're in a different place. It's really confusing to them when you're like, ask them to say, this is not even my nose, but ask them to say hi to somebody and then they don't say hi and there's no consequence. Like, they're, they're not going to understand that. You want them to be friendly and say hi um, if there's not any follow-through. Um, this leads us into the need for discipline. Oh, man, i got to talk faster. We need discipline and correction. I think we've been over this a lot this morning already, but hear these verses on discipline. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. God disciplines us, and we therefore follow his example with our kids. 
The world is loudly saying that boundaries are offensive and unkind and stifling. God's word does not say this. It says differently. We know from God's word that we learn from restriction and authority and rules and consequences. Isaiah 26, 9 says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. God says there is right and wrong. God says that he is the judge of all that is in the earth. We should long for his direction and long for his authority and long for his righteousness. If we look at Hebrews 12, 7, it says, it is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's a rhetorical question. I love rhetorical questions because I'm sarcastic. But if you are without discipline, of which all have been partakers, then you are, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Our earthly fathers disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of the spirits and live? Sorry, I wrote, but continuing in, in Hebrews 12, it says, for that moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So why don't we discipline? Sometimes it's out of fear. Sometimes it's out of our feelings. Sometimes we don't think it's working. Sometimes it often causes more strife in our home in the moment that seems helpful. And lastly, sometimes it takes privacy and often we don't have privacy that we need and it's difficult to find. These are all hindrances um, to reasons why we don't discipline. But we need to fuel our decisions in the moment of correction with our kids with truth. Proverbs 19:18: discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So what are the practicals of discipline? Discipline is not hasty violence. We must be strong and courageous in our discipline, resolve to follow through with showing our kids the pathway of righteousness. We do this full of truth, full of grace, in absolute love and gentleness. Oftentimes we find ourselves frustrated or offended when our kids sin, which leads us to be really angry. It's important to take time to get yourself under control. Get your child away from the scene and away from others, giving yourself time to process and to calm down if needed before you correct them. This will help you correct them in the right tone, in the right frame of mind, hopefully with God's mind. Their disobedience must be dealt with before you as the parent and also before the Lord. Removing them from other people will take them away from them being concerned about what others are thinking about them. 
When they're in front of others, it can be difficult for them to stay focused on the actual event because they're really embarrassed. Once you have them in private and you yourself are under control, then you can discipline. And I have just a little acronym or really just a little process of that. You're going to spank them. Then you're going to speak to them. You're going to say, do you know why mama spanked you? And explain if they don't know. Then you're going to put, I try to think of an R here. So I put rehab, but it's really just snuggle, right? You're going to hug them and you're going to restore them. Lastly, you're going to restore, allow them, if age appropriate, to go and ask for forgiveness for the offended party. This may take some time and some role playing on your part. And again, helping them to know what to say and keep this really simple. Obviously, they need, they need to be verbal at this stage. Um, this is something you can talk about at your tables and in your groups to see what other moms have done and see if that may work too in your home on the process that, on the process that they have with their children um, and their, the consequences that they actually instill. Let me exhort and encourage you here. Training your children in the manner of godliness, it's a difficult task and it's really weary. Your emotions will be on a roller coaster ride. It will expose your sin. It will humble you. It will bring you to your knees and expose your need to be dependent on Christ. I know I'm making this all sound really enticing and you all can't wait to go home and put this message into practice. I'm totally being sarcastic. This is really hard. Uh, but can I encourage you being on the other end, the almost done end of my parenting, which I'm going to get emotional because it's sad. <laughs> there is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater joy and no greater peace found in this life than doing what God commands and doing what his word tells me to do. He doesn't promise me ease, but he does promise us peace and joy. And I've experienced that peace and joy in the weariness of parenting. When I found myself perfectly aligned with God's heart and with his commands for me regarding the way in which I parent my kids. It may seem like it's not working, but your rest and peace comes not always in the fruit of obedience, but in the fact that you have been obedient to what and how the Lord calls you to raise your children. Can I encourage you to be faithful in your obedience to the Lord and to trust the Lord with the results of your parenting? He is the only one that can change your, change your child's heart. He calls you, though, even still, to be faithful to instruct and train and discipline your child in his ways. You trust him when you don't see the results right away and you faithfully employ God's principles and the character-building blocks that he desires for your children into their lives, and then we wait patiently to watch him do, do the work. And you pray like mad while you wait. You pray for your continued consistency in guiding and training them despite the fruit seen and for him to work on their hearts, to break them, of their sin and mold their hearts and turn their character into looking more like Christ. Ultimately, we just trust the Lord. My favorite verse 
It's one that I learned as a little child myself and that I continue to hold with me today and use almost every day as I come in contact with just the hard things that this world brings. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time around your word. Thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of my heart with these ladies today. I am far from perfect in any of these areas. And I was not obedient and let you down many times in my parenting and let my children down. And I know, Lord God, that you use those situations to mold and shape me, to expose my sin and to grow me in ways that I didn't even know I needed. I'm so thankful for children and the blessing that they are and all the chaos that they bring and the splitting apart of your very soul that exposes everything there and you are just laid bare. Um, it is so good for us to be in that place, to cultivate that humility that we need, to remember that we are in desperate need of you every day. Thank you for giving us the grace uh, to be the moms that we need to be Thank you for giving us your word as our guide. Thank you for giving us each other and the church as a place where we can be encouraged to continue to persevere despite not seeing fruit all the time in our homes. Lord, I pray for these ladies' hearts that first and foremost you would knit them to yours and that they would fall in deeper and deeper love with you and that the desire of their hearts would be that they would parent and love their children as unto you and not unto their own feelings and whims, Lord, but that they would follow your direction and your leading. Thank you for this time. Thank you for sustaining me through this. In your name, amen.